I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, you're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and this week we're bringing you our review of The Batman, plus covering off all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. We do, Tim. And in today's episode, we're talking The Batman. So when sadistic serial killer The Riddler begins murdering key political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement. The Batman is directed by Matt Reeves, who brought us the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy of films. Now, the screenplay is by Reeves also and Peter Craig and is based on the DC comics from creators Bob Kane and Bill Finger. The movie stars Robert Pattinson in The Bat Cowl (laughs) with Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, Colin Farrell, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis, Jeffrey Wright and John Turturro. Now, I can't wait to specifically talk about Pattinson in the bat cow Mm -hmm. later in the episode. But let's first talk about the story and then it will be remiss of us not to compare it to the other Batman films that we've got over the Mm. last 30 years or so. Yeah, and there's been quite a few, hasn't there? Yeah, there's been like nine, I I guess you could say. Depends how you look Mm, at it. Yeah. Should we rattle them off? You've got the Batman from 1989, which Tim Burton followed up with Batman Returns in 92. And then Joel Schumacher came in swinging with Batman Forever, mm-hmm. followed up by the film that arguably killed the franchise for many years, Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the tone just went somewhere completely different. Mm-hmm. And then Christopher Nolan came in with Christian Bale for Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises between 2005 and 2012. And then rounding it out, you have have Batman vs Superman where Batfleck, Ben Affleck took on mm-hmm. the cow and it wrapped up more recently with Justice League back in 2017. So just a few. Ooh. Plus all the cartoons exactly. and, and series and oh my gosh. It's huge. Yeah. And Batman's been around for 80 years. So goodness me. So when we come into this one though, 
Bruce Wayne has only been Batman for a couple of years. Mm. And they've said all along they don't want to do the backstory or his origins. So we don't get much of that. And we don't also get much of him as Bruce Wayne, for that matter. You know, that's one of the points that I wrote down. He is basically Batman for 90% of the film. We've never Mm. really had a Batman movie that doesn't weave in Bruce Wayne maybe like equal Mm. parts. Because we don't get the billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne in this movie at all. No, they're going for a younger Bruce Wayne, aren't they? Yeah, he's in his early 30s is I think where they're positioning this Bruce is Batman. It? Yeah, mid yeah. mid 30s or would you say a different age or early earlier maybe? No, I was confused because mm. I thought would have been mid 30s too, sort of early 30s. Yeah. But then I thought, but how has he only been doing the Batman thing for a couple of years then? Shouldn't he have been doing it for longer? Like that confused me. The timeline confused me a little bit. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, you think that maybe should he be even younger, like in his mm. mid to late 20s? But I wonder if they were trying to style him that way. And we'll talk a bit about that a bit later. But, sure. you know, I would have liked to have seen that dynamic, that Bruce Wayne, Batman dichotomy mm. in a film of three hours length because it's a long film. <laughs> yeah. Three hours. Okay. And that's the the hill I'm going to die on is that this did not need to be three hours long. It went on too long. Yeah. Especially towards the end. Sure. That was going to be one of my questions for you at some point in this episode. So I'm glad you brought it up straight out of the gate because I knew it was something that you were yeah. were going in going, holy shit, man, this movie's three hours. And you came out yeah. saying the same thing like, holy shit, man, that movie was three hours or... Not no, not as bad, not as okay. bad. But yeah, I was very hesitant. You know, I went in with an open mind, totally. thinking maybe it, maybe it's worth being three hours. Yeah. And look, this is a fantastic film. Let mm. me just say that it's really really good. But I don't think it needed to be three hours. And long. look, I'm going to agree with you with a but. Mm-hmm. Did the movie need to be three hours? No, it didn't need to be three hours. But I also didn't mind that it was three right. hours at the same time. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I didn't mind for most of the way through, but then you get what feels like a climax. Mm. Then you get a bit more. Yep. Then he's got to say goodbye to all the characters <laughs> and drawn out different ways. And then you get a third act and then you get a fourth act. Oh, you say there would, there'd be a fourth act in there, <laughs> changing the mould of cinema. There would a fourth act. I mean, I would have liked to have seen, as I said, that dynamic between Bruce Wayne mm. and, and Batman. And I would have liked to have seen more of the relationship between Alfred and Bruce too. Yes. Because they dipped into that and you know, played out that kind of fatherly relationship that Alfred has with Bruce, Mm. but only really touched on it very briefly. Yeah, Andy Serkis plays Alfred in this iteration of Batman Mm. and I really liked them on screen together and I thought there was going to be more meat on the bones there. Yeah. But I guess it brings it back that there wasn't much Bruce in this film. It was more the Batman. So maybe this is meant to be a planned trilogy they've announced. Mm. So, you know, in the coming films, maybe we will get more of a flavour and a taste of Bruce and then more of that relationship with with Alfred. Let's talk about the story for a second. Mm. I found it a little bit convoluted. Right. I like the direction they went in. It's very much a detective thriller. Definitely. But if I'm being picky, you know, there's a complicated number of players in this film. They've shoved in, which, you know, that's the DC trademark, isn't it? Yeah. Shove as much as you can into one film. Yeah. So they're stuffing a lot of the draw cards into this one movie. You've got Penguin, you've got the Riddler, you've got, you know, all these different characters. And, yeah, I think they could have streamlined it just a bit and made the story a little bit easier to follow. What yeah, do you think? Yeah, because the, the film was doing a very purposeful job of making – the world building a a real priority and focus of this film. So they had to bring in all these bit players and some characters Mm. you got more of than others. You know, we've already mentioned 
Alfred uh, was kind of mm. there and gone, there and gone. I do think there were too many players in here, but they all contributed really vital layers to the plot. Yeah. So it was almost mm. like, oh, how would have they streamlined it? Maybe this was maybe too ambitious of a film, but at the same time, I, I really think it it nailed a majority of what mm. it was trying to do here. Yeah. Look, I will agree with you. Mm. I just think the detective element yeah. of the story, it was executed really well. Yeah. Like really well. Yeah. But it was just maybe a little bit complicated. Look, I, I did find myself get a little lost because there there were so many complexities to this film. It's like psychological mm. drama. It's, you know, there's a serial killer on the loose. Yeah. All those sorts of things. But if you go back to the source material in how Batman first showed up in the comics, Batman is meant to be the world's greatest detective. Uh, and we've never seen him in a film like that before. So despite it yeah. adding a few, oh my gosh, where are we going? It does all come together. In some way you have to really, mm. really pay attention. But I loved that we went down that road here. You know, now that I'm thinking about it a bit more, maybe it's the fact that there's a past case referenced and you never see the players in that case. Do you know what I mean? Like the big player, they keep mentioning this mob boss that's been taken down or this like criminal kingpin that got taken down in some sting operation. And that's a big basis of this Mm. storyline. But you don't really understand who that player is or ever see that player or, you know what I mean? Like maybe a flashback scene. Might have helped. Yeah, that probably would have really aided some context in establishing a little bit of a lay of the land for us, yeah. Yes, context. Just a bit more context. Just a little bit more context, Matt Reed. Just just, just being a bit picky, but, you know, <laughs> it is a great film. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm tearing it to shreds, but... Oh, yeah. not at all. I think everything you're saying is incredibly valid. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Validating my opinions, Tim. So Robert Pattinson has said he was never interested in doing a superhero film. Yeah. Based on what we've had in the past, you think, well, this is a superhero film, but Reeves comes at it with a completely different angle. Mm. It's really not a superhero film. He strips Bruce Wayne, Batman, back to his core. Yeah, he really has. And the product is, if you throw a few buzzwords in here, especially the, the intro to the film, he's establishing an incredibly menacing world really powerful, mysterious, like Gotham is a cesspool of corruption mm-hmm. and then you don't really get a glimpse of the other side of that, the good side, the light, like even just visually, which we'll touch on later, there's yeah. no daylight in this fucking movie and, and it's <laughs> never dry. It's always <laughs> raining. You know, it is purposefully yes. grim and gritty and dark yep. and I guess that's what attracted Pattinson to the role because it's so mm. different from a tone and style perspective. Grim and gritty and dark. I like those three words to describe this film. Right. It's very much a neo-noir style, as we've said, like a detective film. Oh, yeah. Especially in the beginning with the voiceover narration. Yes. I loved that inclusion. How did you feel about that as a creative yeah, choice? Yeah, interesting way to go, yeah. Yeah, because just to add to that, hopefully this isn't a spoiler, but Bruce comes home after his night out on the town, <laughs> on the town, it sounds like he's getting pissed, uh, night out fighting crime, and he logs and recounts all his encounters, all the things that yeah. he's had. So it kind of ta- tacks on to his narration, his feelings about the city and what he's experiencing. And it was a really mm. interesting layer of them to propel the plot and the narrative and for you to understand the psyche of Bruce and what yeah. he's trying to do here. They dig deep. Mm. Yeah. And there's some great heavy use of imagery in this film. That's one of the things that I absolutely loved about it. You know, the director chooses to use close-ups an awful lot for dramatic effect. Mm. You've got Batman's boot stomping in the rain towards his enemy, a spinning tyre in a chase sequence instead of watching the entire 
chase sequence, you know, an extreme close-up on an eyeball while a contact lens is trying to get off. It's all really intense imagery. I love that you've brought that up because there was a word that I was trying to find while I was preparing my notes for this episode. And the word I stumbled across was like claustrophobic or suffocating. This movie Mm. doesn't really let you breathe. Yeah. It doesn't pull away from what it's trying to show you. It's really confronting at times. Intense is the word I keep coming back to. Yeah. I liken it as well to a bit of Sin City. Okay. It's, you know, that's another dark and really stylized comic. It's not quite as stylized as that or as sexy as Sin City, mm. but it's the same kind of idea, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to latch onto the word sexy. Like it is sexy in times, but, you know, it, it, it is tastefully mm. sexy. But I'm comparing the last time we had the bat, the cat and the penguin in a film in 92. And I recently saw that a couple of years mm. ago in the cinema. And I forgot how horny that movie was like it is a really <laughs> fucking horny movie so you don't really get that that kind of sexy this time the bat cat and penguin yeah. <laughs> are in this film but anyway <laughs> I, I digress back to you shall we talk about the performances okay you can't avoid the fact that robert pattinson had a bit of backlash mm. when it was announced that he was going to step into this role but i mean again like his twilight co-star Kristen stewart he's really underrated as an actor because he's fantastic i couldn't agree with you more goodness me like every big casting news is always met with a lot of criticism and you mm. can compare the casting of bruce wayne batman to who takes on the role of james bond right they're just mm. deeply scrutinized and were you skeptical about robert patterson going in or did you have an open mind and then how did you feel coming out of it i don't remember how I felt hearing mm. I think I was a bit hesitant yeah. yeah I think I think I wasn't sure about it but um you know everyone's individual performances in this film is exactly what I didn't know I wanted right okay you know what I mean yeah you know like like Robert Pattinson is a fantastic Batman let me just say that he inhabits the brooding tortured soul that Batman is wonderfully I you know I, you couldn't ask for a better performance He's a vigilante with nothing to live for. Mm. I think that came across really well, but I wasn't into his Bruce Wayne. Okay. And we only saw glimpses of it, as we said, but I just, I wasn't into it. I didn't get that confidence that I'm a millionaire playboy kind of feel. I mean, yeah, he's a bit younger in this film and maybe he hasn't got to that stage and maybe in other films they've played that part up a bit too much. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I just, I, I felt like he was a bit of an emo kid. <laughs> like not someone who should be running a business, a multi-billion dollar business, you know? Well, we never really saw him do that. We never saw him con- confer no. with the board of Wayne Enterprises or anything like that. That was not a layer of this film at all. It was deeply focused on the detective mm. arc. I've got a quote that Matt Reeves said on why he cast Patterson, and it's quite revealing. Mm. So he says, I was keen to show a different side of the character. I wanted him to have almost a reclusive rock and roll vibe. So that kind of leans into your whole emo Mm. vibe that you got. A cross between Kurt Cobain and Howard Hughes. He continues, Bruce has retreated from being a Wayne. And if you see him, it's like seeing a rock star. But instead of going out and playing gigs at night, his gig is to be Batman. He's an obsessive guy and that was one of the things that was exciting to me about Robert Pattinson. He has the intensity to bring that to life. But when you say rock star, Mm. there's no excess in this film. He's not living a life of excess at all. No, he's living a life of rage. (laughs) Like so much rage and he's incredibly isolated from the world and everyone in it. It's incredibly interesting portrayal of the character to say the least. 
It's an absolutely fascinating direction they went in. But in trying to establish that he's young and tortured, Mm. that droopy emo hair in front of his fucking face all the time, I hated that. (laughs) Lee tapped me on the shoulder and and just like, move his his hair, get your hair out of your face. (laughs) Yeah, he's glaring out from behind his bangs and muttering all the time. It was ridiculous. It works for the Batman, Mm -hmm. it really does, Mm -hmm. but not for a billionaire running a huge business. It just... To me, I found that jarring. What was yeah, and fair enough. Like I, I, at times, I did feel that as well. I think another layer that may have led us both to feel that way is that, of course, underneath the cowl, he's got the black eye makeup, right? You, mm. You've never seen him walk around like a panda before without the cowl, so <laughs> yeah. the, it brings you back to that whole emo vibe. Like it, it, it was hard to take him seriously sometimes. Yeah, no, but I liked that. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked that they showed that he had the makeup on. He's he's done that intentionally. And when he takes the mask off, it's all dripping and sweat yeah. and, you know, running down his face like bad mascara. Like, I liked that. I really, really liked that approach. It was the hair. The it was hair. the hair because it's very cliched, emo, tortured young boy mm-hmm. to do that. And you think realistically, it's like the empty coffee cup. You know, you oh. hate people walking around with an empty coffee cup. I do. And in film, they do that as well. Or people that hang up the phone without saying goodbye. They just <laughs> hang up the phone. Yeah. It's these kind of movie cliché things. And, and the hair in front of the face is just one way to quickly establish, oh, I'm so tortured I can't even bring myself to push my hair out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally hear you on all of that. I loved that, Lee. Oh, but I mean, look, that's being extremely picky. Robert Pattinson is an absolutely fantastic Batman. Yes, and to continue on the conversation about who else was fantastic mm-hmm. in this film, can we talk about Zoe Kravitz's Selena Kyle slash Catwoman? Hot. <laughs> right? Damn. Yeah. I love her. She nailed it. She nailed it. We needed more of her though. Yeah. She was in it quite a lot. What more did you yeah. may have wanted to see? You just loved her so much you just wanted it to be in more. Yeah. 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 Bit more of a pivotal role maybe. Yeah. I, I mean. I, I mean she's a main character but I just, you know, she kind of came in at different points and didn't and disappeared again. We, we've never had a Catwoman like this before because she had very clear motive. Yeah. She was determined in her own right She's as reckless as Robert Pattinson's Batman mm-hmm. in terms of a betrayal mm-hmm. and character and subplot and all that stuff. She's incredibly mysterious. There's still a lot that we don't know mm-hmm. about her. And I love that she herself was also, she had a side hustle of infiltrating the underbelly of Gotham with her own agenda and mm. I found that really fascinating. Yeah, they're like two sides of the same coin, aren't they? And I, I like that dynamic. And the two of them together. Oh, oh yes. Their first encounter that was a bit of a hand-to-hand combat was mm. just stunning. I was like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah, gimme, 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 gimme. <laughs> and so the main villain of this piece is the Riddler, mm. played by Paul Dano. I was surprised, okay, that after the whole Bane debacle, they went with a character design that obscured Paul Dano's face mm. with such a restrictive mask. Mm. You know, it does impede his speech, and I found it a bit hard sometimes to catch what he was saying. Not all the time, mm. just sometimes. But his performance was incredible, so unsettling, so terrifying. What did you think? I found him terrifying. He was so unhinged and it kept building and building. The more that you saw the Riddler, the more that was revealed about his plot and then the interactions with certain characters later in the film, Mm. you're like, fuck me. I've always been a fan of Paul Dano. He's an incredible 
character mm. actor. But this was almost, without sounding too cliche, like a, a role that he was born to tackle. Yeah. Like he, he's just got so much to give for a role like mm. this. And again, you don't get to know who the Riddler really is, mm. that other side of things. They're really, really just leaning into the nighttime characters, if you will. You know, the Batman, not Bruce Wayne. Yes. The Riddler, not Edward Nashton as he's known in this film. Now, what did you say just before the nighttime characters? I really like that. Yeah, the masked characters. The masked characters, yes. Mm. Like we, th- This is a very unfamiliar Riddler. I mean, last time we got Riddler, it was camp mid-90s Jim Carrey. And do you know what? <laughs> I will not hear a bad word about his Riddler. I loved his version of the Riddler. That movie, okay, it's not the greatest movie that ever lived, but <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Oh, it is. Come on. Oh, gosh. It is peak 90s. Camp yeah. fun. Tommy Lee Jones as <laughs> Two-Face. Oh, goodness gracious. Yep, I love that film. I'm not going to say a bad thing about that either. But a theme that aligns to a lot of the characters, but especially the Riddler, is the theme mm. of trauma. And I found that really mm. interesting how that came to the surface and I guess fueled his motive. There's so many yeah. layers to this movie. It's insane. It's insane. Okay, Penguin. Mm. Let's get on to the Penguin, played by Colin Farrell, who was, as they keep saying, unrecognisable. I still couldn't see him. And I've watched the Mm. whole movie with him in it. I'm like, where is Colin Farrell? And he was bang on. He was so good. And they're quite obviously setting him up as the big villain for next time. So I can't wait for more of that. You know, this is a really little thing, but I really loved that he he was referred to as Oz in the film. Like his full name is Mm. Oswald Cobblepot, which is, you know, a mouthful no matter mm. how sober you are. So, yeah. like, re- bring it back to Oz, but then everyone was calling him the Penguin. Like, he felt like a very established character within the yeah. within the world of Underbelly Gotham. This is the thing, again, all the characters are already established. Mm. We don't get these backstories. We don't need the origin stories. And I love that Matt Reeves chose to jump in at that point. Yeah, me too. I think it's a really interesting choice and it worked really well. A bold but effective way. Mm. Just to talk about his character design. Yep. He bared the scars of his past. Like, he was really fucked up in the face. Like, he had mm. been very uh, – he had lived a very violent life. And mm. I know we got a kick out of some of the physical interpretations of his character that pay homage to, you know, the penguin wobble and things yeah, like that, which were really cool. a couple of little nods in there, yeah, which are funny. Yeah, got a kick out of those. Jeffrey Wright as Officer Gordon, mm. Jim Gordon, not quite commissioner yet. He's a hardened but still trusting crusader for good Mm. in this film and we see him as working as like a partner with Batman. Yeah, Batman and Gordon are the only two that really trust each other. Mm. They're in each other's back pocket and they're a team that believe in the crusade to fight against crime and they had such great chemistry. Jeffrey Wright is an astonishing Mm. actor. Oh, isn't he amazing? I mean, we we revel about him on the Mm. podcast over and over again. And I loved them as detectives putting their heads together and yeah. working through this film. I love the partnership that they built as characters and I can't wait to see more of it. And it's a testament to all of the actors in the film that, you know, you're jumping into these relationships in the middle of them already being established mm. and you immediately feel them. Right. So you did, you felt that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, it would have been nice to have seen how it developed and, and get that backstory, but it's a really strong creative choice that the team have made here to just jump in at this point. Absolutely. Now let's talk about some other big creative choices that this film made. Mm. Let's talk about the action and the effects and the cinematography, Lee. I mean, visually, the Batman is just extraordinary. Right. 
hats off to Grieg Fraser, the cinematographer. He's an Aussie, by the way, oh. who has worked on Dune and Rogue One. Oh, my God. So, you know, he's a visual master, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, so hats off to him and Matt Reeves and the team on what they've created here visually. You can't fault the action, I think. I've got three words to describe the action. Mm. Highway, car, chase. Holy <laughs> mother of God. Yeah. I was qu- like shaking in my seat. That was insane. Yeah, the chairs were actually literally shaking. Yes. Like my chair was vibrating with the surround sound oh, of this film. The sound design was so visceral. You couldn't escape it. It sort of pushes the boundaries as well of what's comfortable, which is the point in this film sure. as well. You're meant to feel uncomfortable. That's a very good point. Mm. And you just can't look away from this film. It's shot in such a creative way. Not just the car chases, mm. but the brute force stunt sequences, the fights. It's all very, again, keep coming back to this word, mm. intense and brutal. Yeah. It's visceral. There is no light in Gotham like I mentioned earlier on in the episode, Mm. and it takes place entirely at night, but there were glimmers of, I think there were sunrises, Mm. right? That's all you got. So it was a very clear choice to put this in the darkness, which I Mm. I really love. It was a very bold choice. There are some really great hero shots in this film too, but this is one of the things that I thought went on a little too long. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, like the hero shots just in general. Yeah. Yeah. They- yeah. I mean, hero shots like Batman stomping very slowly towards his enemies. And there's a great shot that's actually upside down after a car chase. And you see him coming towards the screen, you know, very slowly. But again, those kind of things just went on a little yeah. bit. Yeah. They, they loved to, they were very arresting, but they sure did love to linger on them. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's an extra little bit where his head pokes around the corner and which turned out to be quite comical. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it was meant to be, but that's the thing. If you'd cut it off a bit earlier, it would have been better. (laughs) I've got that moment replaying in my head and I can't help but laugh. Hello. I'm Batman. (laughs) Hello. It seemed a little out of place, but I still loved it all the same. (laughs) Just to to be clear, he doesn't say that in the film. I will say, though, Matt Reeves is a sadistic bastard for making his film three hours long and filling it with driving rain and flooding water and constant atmospheric dripping. He's evil. (laughs) I felt damp after the film. (laughs) I couldn't hold my bladder. (laughs) I almost didn't make it. So there we go. Mm, Oh, dear. Lee, look, let's talk about the costumes and production design here. What did you think of the bat suit specifically? Well, we've only just discussed Jacqueline Duran's costume work on Cyrano, okay, which was a completely different film. Couldn't be more different. Right. You know, the costumes here aren't as slick as you would see in other Batman films, and that's not a negative Mm. thing. It's more realistic, more thrown together, which would make sense for someone who's only just been doing this for a couple of years. Yeah, totally. It's rougher in design, a bit more gritty, but... My God, Darren has just proven she's no one-trick pony. You know, period pieces aren't her bread and butter. She can do anything. Goodness. Yeah, I, uh, she's so talented. And I, I just love the bat suit. I mean, all, all we'd seen is it in trailers and in images, but seeing it in situ in the context mm. of how the Batman moves and how he operates as a detective and a fighter it was incredible how useful mm. his suit was and it felt really handmade. There were a lot of scars and things like he, mm. he'd been battered the, to shit 
and they didn't shy away from that. Like it's not that lean, shiny, etched abs thing that you see in the Joel yeah. Schumacher movies. It's very um, combat, like a like a combat suit, if you will. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it, actually. Mm. And we mentioned the Riddler's mask was quite limiting mm. from a vocal perspective, but I got vibes of, especially with with the inclusion of the glasses, that he was almost I don't know, like a doctor or something, like a surgeon, mm-hmm. especially with all the. Uh, saw jigsaw like traps that he put key mm. political corrupt figures in which by the way a lot of the violence was implied but it was pretty fucking full-on and i'm surprised yeah. he didn't get a, a higher uh, classification to be honest mm. what do you what do you think that comes down to the choices in the framing of the angles and the visual imagery again like mm. you know you see in a film like a clockwork orange where you see the eye and you see the pick, but you don't really see yeah. it actually, you know, you don't explicitly need to see it happening. You mm. do see some things happening in this film. My goodness, ooh, it's a bit brutal, mm. but you don't need to see that to get the full force. And that's that comes down to really effective, creative filmmaking choices. Yeah. And I almost think that's more effective than if you saw the violence. Yeah, mm. it, It's a delicate balance, but when you get the it right, like, Boy, mm. you, you feel it more than if you actually saw it. It's wild. Balance is the key word there. They got the balance right. Yeah, they got the tone right. They've got everything right in this film, except for how long it is. <laughs> just I gotta keep just banging that on that in. drum. Yeah, just at the end again. It was too long. Three hours too long. It was too long. <laughs> uh, what did you think about Selena Kyle's costume, especially as yeah. Catwoman, and how those flavors came through in in her character costume design? Again, it's very pared back. Mm. It's just like this leather jumpsuit with an old ski mask and holes cut out of it. I love the accents that they introduced throughout the film, bringing more of that shiny latex thing that you you may recognise from Michelle Pfeiffer's turn Mm. as Catwoman back in the early 90s. She's not a fully-fledged Catwoman in this movie, this Selena Kyle. So we haven't seen her yet. And I I really liked that journey of her character and what Mm. she looked like. Because, again, just like Batman... She was really tactical and purposeful mm. in how she moved and how she used the things yeah. on her, which was really effective. Yeah, everything has a purpose. Mm. They're not just throwing on a costume for the sake of throwing on a costume. It, it has a purpose. I've just got one point to make about the production design because it was really cohesive mm. in terms of the tone it was trying yeah. to portray. Gotham always felt really unsafe to me as a viewer and the production yeah. design I think really helped establish that unsafety (laughs) um that really unsettling Mm. and i was surprised at how much the production design lent into the gothic sentiment you know wayne manor and the Mm. Batcave cave were really gothic i loved it my goodness yeah very ornate with like big um i don't know if we saw any gargoyles but lots of intricate design in in Mm. the archways and and all that kind of thing it's not it's not a modern mansion no no and i was really surprised by that but appreciated that all the same. There's so much great detail in this film, honestly. One thing I absolutely adored was Michael Giacchino's score. Goodness. It's dramatic and intense and commanding. It's just utterly fantastic. So haunting. That's the word I mm. felt all the way through and really foreboding and the accents that it, every time it came up, the theme was so mm. beautifully used. And did you know that he wrote the score before the film was shot? So oh, it, really? yeah, it was, it was used as a tool to inspire the tone and the designers and the actors and other creative contributors to the film mm. to get a sense of how the film was to sound before that even shot anything. And that's really rare in the process of filmmaking. So it's like a mood board, but for sound. Yes, that's just that's just it. How cool. <laughs> this is what we're aiming for. Yeah. <laughs> 
I've seen criticism online that it was overused. I fucking loved it. I don't agree with that, but I can see where they were coming from. Yeah. Mm. It was used a lot. It was used a lot. Yeah, that's right. It was used a lot. Yeah. I also really liked the 90s grunge feel of the other music that was Mm. used throughout, like the soundtrack. It felt very much, as we said earlier, like Kurt Cobain mixed with some kind of emo rocker. Wasn't there some Nirvana in there? Is that right? Oh, well, it was definitely similarly sounding like it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it felt like Nirvana, one of the songs they played, but I'm, I'm not sure yeah. what it was. But, but I, I really liked that vibe. Yeah, me too. Oh, goodness gracious. And as I said before, the sound design is just ear piercing mm. and it sometimes pushes the boundaries of what's comfortable. Mm. I actually put my finger in my ear a couple of times, just, just a couple of times when it got really, really screechy because of that surround sound. But but it's part of the style and it really, really worked. The the time that shook me in my little booties was when we are first introduced to the Batmobile and when he's revving the engine and it's mm. turning on, I was like, holy fuck. I'm yeah. gonna, it's going to come out of the fucking screen. Like that's what I really <laughs> felt. <laughs> I was going to dodge the car. How good is it though that he made us feel like that? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry you had to put your fingers in your ears. That's not a pleasant experience. Only, only a couple of times yeah. when it got very screechy. There was a very high pitched, I can't remember what it was, but something mm. was, was, was screeching quite uncomfortably. And But yeah. it was meant to be like that. Oh, Lee, what do you reckon? Is it about time that we wrap up and rate our take on the Batman? Let's try. Mm-hmm. So the Batman is all chaos and intensity, but this is a bold, fresh and exciting take on the character that seems to be more in line with the comics and what fans want from their Batman. He's more hardened detective and vigilante than gadget-toting, flashy hero. We didn't talk about the gadgets, but we didn't get a lot of gadgets, did we? Didn't get a lot. They were used very specifically yep. and really effectively, but he wasn't a gadgety Batman, you're right. But Robert Pattinson's performance as the Dark Knight is one for the history books, definitely. He knocked it out of the park in the mask. The Batman did go on too long for me, but it really is an outstanding achievement in filmmaking, both visually, in sound, in performances. It's fantastic. So I'm giving the Batman four popcorn kernels out of five. Beautifully put, Lee. Well, holy haberdashery, Batman, this movie is good. (laughs) It is a dark, emotional and viscerally intense experience that I honestly wasn't prepared for. I've not stopped thinking about it all week and how it made me feel. Who would have thought Batman movie to make you feel something like this? (laughs) Pattinson, Kravitz, Farrell, Wright and Dano are all exceptional. Matt Reeves' direction and vision is so well realised and that score? Goodness. Is the film too long? Yes, but I didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to rate the Batman four and a half popcorn kernels. Well, there you have it, guys. The Batman is in Australian cinemas now. All right, Lee, let's kick things off with some more awards season news. As the Screen Actors Guild Awards were held this week, the SAGs, as they're known, are usually a strong indicator of what to expect at the Oscars. So let's discuss a few of the winners, shall we? Yes, so outstanding cast in a motion picture had some stiff competition. Mm. Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, House of Gucci and King Richard were all nominated, but Coda was the winner. Yeah, I find that a little strange. I've said on the pod in the Mm. past that I didn't love the movie. There were some great performances in there, but I don't Mm. think it was the most outstanding cast in a motion picture. But the thing about this category is it's not our most outstanding film. It's the most outstanding cast performance. So that's that's the difference, I guess. Mm. Um, But usually that is an indicator of what is going to win at the Oscars. And I'm not convinced Coda will win the Oscar, but... We'll see. We will see. Now, most outstanding male actor in a leading role, Will Smith, 
took out the trophy. Are you happy with this with this outcome? Yeah, look, we've said before that this is a really, really strong category. I'm happy that Will Smith won. He's very deserved. I love Denzel Washington's performance in The Tragedy of Macbeth. I loved Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom. Mm. I loved Javier Bardem in Being the Ricardos. Benedict yeah. Cumber- Like I loved all of their performances. <laughs> so I, it's too hard for me to pick in this one. We need Oprah at the Oscars to mm-hmm. reveal the winner and she goes, you get an Oscar and you get yeah. an Oscar. <laughs> it just, she just gives them all out. Just <laughs> send the world off its axis. The outstanding female actor in a leading role went to Jessica Chastain for the eyes of Tammy Faye. I'm quite happy with that. She was up against Lady Gaga, Jennifer Hudson for Respect, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter. I mean, we were annoyed that Kristen Stewart wasn't included in this mm. category. Um, without her in there, I'm happy that Jessica got the nod. And I really, really loved her acceptance speech. She was legitimately so shocked yeah. and I just love her even more somehow. I think she's a yeah. wonderful person and actor. She's amazing. Now, a category that's not really recognised in many other award shows is Outstanding Stunt Ensemble in a Motion Picture, which understandably, goodness me, no time to die took mm-hmm. out the win. But who else was it up against in this category? It's really, really good this year. Yeah. It was also up against Black Widow, June, The Matrix Resurrections and Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. I would have loved to have seen Shang-Chi win. Yeah, there's incredible stunt work in that. Goodness oh, gracious. Like yeah. like in any Marvel film, but in this one to the next bloody yeah, level. It was amazing. So we'll see what happens when the Oscars hit our screens later this month. Cannot wait. All right, Lee, let's jump into more news. Beetlejuice 2 is getting closer to manifesting with Brad Pitt's plan B on board to produce the sequel with Warner Brothers three decades after we dared utter his name three times. The first film was directed by iconic filmmaker Tim Burton in 1988 and starred Michael Keaton, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, Catherine O'Hara and Winona Ryder. Some years ago, Ryder confirmed she would be doing it and Burton has always said there is only one Beetlejuice and that's Michael. So we'll see who returns. Indeed. An incredible cast some 30 years ago. They're all still doing amazing things. Mm. Now, this sequel has actually been in the works for years with script problems being the biggest issue. Screenwriter Seth Graham Smith, who was tipped to write Beetlejuice 2, has said, the reason it's so hard to get going is because so many people love it and because there are 10 million ways to get that sequel wrong and four ways to get it right. How true is that? It's such a very fine needle to thread that I certainly didn't get it there on the script side. Yeah, so he couldn't do it and there's, you know, they need to get a script. That's like the most important thing to get locked down, isn't it? Indeed, it really is. And also presently Alec Baldwin is embroiled in lawsuits due to the unfortunate onset death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins who was killed after a projectile struck her from the prop gun that Baldwin allegedly fired on the set of his movie Rust. So devastating that that happened. He might not be able to return if it happens anytime soon. Alessandra Nivola announced that he has been cast as the villain in Sony's Marvel picture Craven the Hunter, co-starring Aaron Taylor-Johnson in the lead role. Nivola joins a cast that also includes Ariana DeBose and Russell Crowe. Actually, I didn't know Russell Crowe had been announced. What? There you go. I'm learning all sorts of things in our own episode. 
Good old Rusty. So Craven is an adversary to Spider-Man and one of the founding members of the Sinister Six who is determined to get the best of the web-slinging hero to prove himself as the greatest hunter who ever lived. The film is expected in cinemas in early 2023. And don't forget to head over to our YouTube channel to watch our interview with the Many Saints of Newark star Alessandro Nivola. A great chat you had there, Lee. Yeah, really great chat. He's fun to talk to. So Evan Rachel Wood has revealed she's been having fun playing Madonna in Weird, the Al Yankovic story, alongside Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al. I'm obsessed with this piece of casting. Yeah. She looks great. She shared an image. Oh, I have to look it up. Well, this Mm. biopic's official Instagram account also shared an image of the actress in full 80s getup, rocking the lace and tulle look of Madonna at the time. Yeah, there's still no word on how we'll be able to see this film in Australia, but hopefully we'll be able to see it towards the end of 2022 or early 2023. Speaking of Madonna, speculation is flying over who will play the music icon in her upcoming biopic. The legend herself has said she would love Florence Pugh to play her. Oh, I love that. How good. Yeah. Also at the top of the list is Ozark star Julia Garner and Euphoria star Alexa Demi as well as singer B.B. Rexa. Yeah, according to sources, the casting process has been really brutal with hopefuls participating in intense, you know, sometimes up to 11 hours a day, choreography sessions with Madonna's choreographer, after which there are sessions with Madonna herself. And then there are callbacks, which consist of readings with Madonna, as well as singing auditions with the superstar. So hopefuls have to be able to do it all. God, that is intense. Yeah, right. Just to get the role. Right. I mean, Madonna is known to be an absolute workhorse, but th- mm. this is this is intense. I'm just expecting the headline to be, Madonna casts herself as Madonna in her own <laughs> biopic. Can't find yeah. anyone. <laughs> well, um, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes of the project, but Madonna was co-writing the biopic with Oscar winner Diablo Cody, who has since left the project. And Erin Cressida Wilson, who wrote The Girl on the Train, has taken over to finish the screenplay. So it sounds like it's a bit of a tricky project. Yeah, development hell comes to mind Mm. here. Well, hopefully they bring it all together and and they cast the right person and we get a really Mm. amazing story because Madonna's story is like incredible. Yeah. So good things come to those who wait, Tim. We finally got the mysteriously delayed trailer for Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore this week. And it promises more magic, more action and more Secrets. More secrets. The third film in the Fantastic Beasts franchise picks up as powerful dark wizard Gillet Grindelwald moves to seize control of the wizarding world. Unable to stop him alone, though, Albus Dumbledore entrusts Newt Scamander to lead a team of wizards, witches, and one brave muggle, Baker, on a dangerous mission where they encounter old and new beasts and clash with Grindelwald's growing legion of followers. The Secrets of Dumbledore sees Eddie Redmayne return with Jude Law and Ezra Miller, with Mads Mikkelsen replacing Johnny Depp as Grindelwald, and it's once again directed by David Yates. We will return to the magic in Australian cinemas from April 7. Tim, we also got a trailer for The Adam Project, which gave us some sci-fi action and laughs. The past meets the future in this movie when after accidentally crash landing in 2022, time-travelling fighter pilot Adam Reed teams up with his 12-year-old self on a mission to save the future. I had a lot of fun watching this trailer. It stars Ryan Reynolds, Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Garner, Walker Scoble... Catherine Keener, who I just don't see enough in movies, she's one of my favourite actresses, and Zoe Saldana, and it will arrive on Netflix worldwide on March 11. Can't wait to watch that one. 
We also got a first trailer for the action-packed Bullet Train this week from Deadpool 2 director David Leach. The film stars Brad Pitt and a host of exciting names including Sandra Bullock, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, Zazie Beetz, Joey King and more as assassins battling it out on a Japanese bullet train to get hold of an important suitcase. Honestly, I watched this trailer twice back to back because I had so much fun. Oh, bring it on. Bring it on. Brad Pitt's a bit of a goofy loner assassin, isn't he? Yeah, he's so funny in this trailer. I can't wait to see more. He's got such perfect comedic timing. I wish he did more comedic roles. So Bullet Train speeds into Australian cinemas on July 21, so not long to wait, folks. And there you have it, guys. That's it for another jam-packed episode of Popcorn Podcast where we covered The Batman. The Batman, which you can catch in Australian cinemas right now. Now go and enjoy yourself. And as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.